And I encourage you to take out your Bible. Turn over to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. Just have a couple more weeks in the book of Genesis. I think this is about the 27th sermon that we've done, but it's been a good journey. We did a lot of uh, verse by verse, and now we've been in the narrative section of Genesis since the story of Abraham. And uh, I'm just enjoying the life lessons that we can learn from these people. I remember studying these when I was a young man, and it really um, built depth in my heart about the things I should do and shouldn't do to build character in my life. And I hope, especially for our younger people, that you learn some of these valuable lessons from those who've gone before that we can build character into our life. We're going to talk about the overcomer, Joseph, part one. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked them and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. But his father kept the matter in mind. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Well, I hope you have a copy of your outline. And uh, just to remind you where we've been, you see it there. I'm just going to hit these very quickly. But we've talked about Abraham, then the promised one, Isaac, and then Jacob. And we see a thread running through here. There, the line begins with Abraham lying and being deceiving, passed on down to Isaac, on to Jacob. And now we, can see, we see that Joseph is dealing with this uh, cycle of dysfunction, this these poor character qualities that he has inherited from his family. And we're going to see at the end of this study here in a couple of weeks how Joseph breaks the cycle and unpacks the baggage of all these generations of sin that have been poured down upon him. And so we think about Numbers 34-7. God says he keeps his steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the sins of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third to the fourth generation. And that's what we're witnessing as we go through looking at these particular individuals in time. Today, we want to talk about how to avoid bitterness due to injustice and mistreatment in this world. And I'll bet if we had the mic here and we had several hours, we'd have many of you come and fill 
uh, long lengths of time sharing about the injustices and mistreatment that you have had in your life. But it's not a matter of trying to get those things uh, taken care of and balancing the scales. It's God wants us to know how to deal with it in our lives. Many of these things that happen to us in this life will never be corrected here on earth, but we know that God ultimately is the judge. And so we put our faith in the one who will ultimately balance the scales of justice. So where are we going in our world, in our individual lives with the cycles of dysfunction, the bad ingrained habits, codependency, that can be a very positive thing, but it become a very negative thing as well. A victim mentality, abusive behavior, physical, emotional, even abuse to one's body because of addictions, how it affects the other people in the family. Anger, unchecked anger. What do you do with that? How do you deal with that? We see boundaries. Some people have no boundaries. Other people have unrealistic boundaries where they want to try to attain perfection. Habitual irresponsible behavior, such as finances, not using them wisely, not being a good steward of them. Work ethic, you know, not working, being very lazy, or being so driven that that becomes your God and the most important thing in your life. There's a humorous story about a company that needed a big shakeup. It was just very lethargic and apathetic and wasn't doing very well, so they hired a new CEO. And one of the first days he was there, he went out to the plant and he wanted to let everybody know that he meant business. And so he looked around at this room that had a lot of people and there was a guy leaning against the wall. And he walked over to him, he says, how much do you make per week? He says, well, I think I make $300 a week. So the CEO pulls out his money and hands him $1,200 and says, here's four weeks pay, get out of here and don't come back. And as he left the room, he said, looked around, he says, where did that goof off work here in the plant? And a voice said, he doesn't, he's the Domino pizza guy. <laughs> so as you think about the work ethic and trying to show off, Sometimes things backfire on you. Another thing we need to think about are relationships. Relationships, how they can be dysfunctional. As dads, do we keep our word, our promises to our, our, our wives and to our kids and, and also the wives to our kids as well? Telling the truth and lying as we've been talking about through these stories. Selfishness, greed, jealousy, materialism. We could put a lot of other things in that blank. But we want to identify them in our life. We need to unpack them. We need to deal with them. And then we need to go for emotional, spiritual health in our lives. The background is this of this story of Joseph is just to remind you is that God is at the center of this story. This is not just about Joseph and his story of success. It's a story about how a righteous man was blessed and was guided by God. Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. Jacob favored Joseph. Here we go, the repeat of Isaac and Rebekah loving Esau and Jacob favoring them. Jacob hadn't learned his lesson from his own life. And Jacob, as we'll see and point out, learned from his upbringing the innate character qualities that continue to affect his family as it affected him growing up. Jacob, interestingly, was separated from his mother for 20 years, the one who favored him. Joseph would be separated from his father for 20 years, the one who favored him and his family. 
So if we take the 30,000-foot view of this story, the primary purpose is primarily to see God's working to keep his promises with his chosen people. Through Joseph, God will bring the chosen family to Egypt. God's purpose was to spare them from death due to the famine. And God had to wait for the sins of the Amorites to reach the level of wickedness necessary to be destroyed in God's eyes. He also had to make Canaan, the promised land, ready for the occupation of the Israelites. God set it all up through the rivalry and jealousy of the brothers, through Joseph's attitude in the midst of mistreatment, and we see through this God's faithful hand. So let's look at the story first of all, and then the lessons that God has in store for us from Joseph's life. First of all, in your outline, the word sold, S-O-L-D, sold, chapter 37. We see the favoritism of Jacob toward Joseph. And we all know the story pretty well, the coat of many colors. There's obviously a, a big uh, uh, musical about that. And uh, we know the story is out there, but some say this coat of many colors was like a ceremonial robe that would be draped around a statue of a goddess. It may have had gold ornaments sewn into the seam of it. It was a coat designed for royalty. It was a sign possibly of a bigger portion of the inheritance, or maybe he was going to get all of the inheritance. We see the beginnings of jealousy and rivalry among the brothers in verses 1 through 4, as we read just a few moments ago. But then we see the arrogance, the arrogance of Joseph. To make the situation worse, not bad enough that Jacob favored him over the other 11 and gave him this coat of many colors, Joseph has a dream. He has one dream and two dreams. And ultimately, you know, he's challenged because the dream tells him that all his brothers and even his mom and dad are going to bow down and honor him and pay homage to him. So we see the immaturity, the cockiness, the pride that Joseph had by sharing that story. And even his dad is questioning the fact that Jacob and his wife will bow down to him. But notice verse 11 as we read. His brothers were jealous of Joseph, but his father kept the matter in mind. This was a prediction of the whole family coming to Joseph in Egypt as we look at it in the future. Then we see, thirdly, the jealousy of the brothers. The jealousy of the brothers. In Genesis 37, I hope you have your Bible turned there, verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Verse 17, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Well, now the scene changes, and Joseph is sent out by Jacob to check on his brothers. And then we see the hatred and the deception of the brothers. As he's walking toward them, off in the distance, the brothers get together and say, hey, let's kill this guy. Let's uh, 
take his life and then we'll be done with this dreaming stuff and this thing of possibly having to bow down to him sometime in the future. But Reuben, the oldest, said, wait a minute, I'll be the one in trouble. I'll be the one that's responsible. So he said, instead of killing him, let's put him in a well and take his clothes from him, take the coat off and just put him in there. And so the Bible doesn't say, but apparently Reuben left the scene and along came the Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And the remaining brothers got Joseph up out of the well and sold him as a slave for 20 shekels to the Ishmaelites. And then they in turn sell him over to Potiphar's house as we'll see in a moment. But then what happens? Reuben comes back and all of a sudden he looks in the well and He's gone. Joseph's gone. What's he going to do? So they take the coat of many colors and they tear it and they kill an animal and they dip it in blood. And then they go back and deceive their father. And it's interesting as you read that passage in verses 19 through 36, we won't take the time to do that. They led Jacob to believe that Joseph was dead. They never articulated that, but they let him believe that it happened. Jacob, the master deceiver, was cruelly deceived. Jacob had been tricked by Isaac with the goat skin on his arm to get the blessing instead of Esau. Jacob's past sin comes to haunt him, and Jacob's in torment when he thought his son was dead. Look at verses 34 and 35 of Genesis 37. Then Jacob, when he came to that realization, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave, to my son. And so his father wept for him. This is a prophecy in verse 35 because Jacob will go down and he will be with the son before he dies actually in Egypt. And then he will die there. Frederica Matthews Green said this, very important quote, ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. Think about that. Ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. You and I, we have to tear down those tendencies to be prideful, to be filled with arrogance, to be conceited in our own lives. Many of you know Nick Walenda, and he's a famous tightrope walker, but he's also a brother in Christ. He's a Christian. He walked across on a tightrope Niagara Falls in 2012, and in 2013, I'm told from the story that he was the first one to go across the Grand Canyon. But very few people know the whole story about Nick Walenda. So after the media and the crowds leave, after every one of these events, Nick Walenda does something very unusual. He goes out for three hours and he begins to pick up trash after the people have all left. And he goes on to say in his book that my purpose for going out and picking up trash is simply to help clean up after myself. The huge crowd left a great deal of trash behind, and I feel compelled to pitch in. Besides, after the inordinate amount of attention I sought and received, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me, so I have to force myself into situations that are humbling. So be it. I know that I need to get down on my hands and knees like everyone else. I do it because it's a way to keep me from tripping. As a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. I pick up trash because if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. 
I'll be serving nothing but my ego. So here's the application. Pride left unchecked in our lives brings destruction. Initially, that's what we see what happened to Joseph. You know, he was so proud and arrogant and bragging about these dreams. God had to deflate the balloon. He had to take out the pride in his life. Pride left unchecked in our lives brings destruction. Well, let's fast forward in time and encourage you to flip over to Genesis chapter 39 as we see the story of Joseph continue. And he's now been sold as a slave into Potiphar's house, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And the second main point here is we see slavery. The next blank there is slavery in chapter 39. Joseph was bought as a slave by Potiphar. How humiliating. Here he was, the man with the coat of many colors, the favored one of Jacob, and now he's merely a slave. Look at verse 39, or chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. One of the key verses in the narrative is found in verse 2, that the Lord was with Joseph. And we'll see that as we continue through this story. Yes, Joseph had good works, or good work skills, and he was a good leader, and he was a good administrator. And yes, Joseph worked to keep his, righteous, keep his life righteous before the Lord. But it says the Lord was with him, and his master knew it. We see Joseph serve Potiphar faithfully and was rewarded. Verse 3, when his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Joseph was now promised to be the head of all the slaves and all the attendants in the house. Potiphar gave him the freedom and the responsibility to pretty much do anything that was necessary to take care of things in his property. Potiphar only concerned himself with the menu of food that he ate. God was teaching Joseph what it was to be a servant in the small things of life. And that's what happens to a great leader. Usually a great leader becomes a servant or becomes lowly at first. And he learns to be a servant leader. A leader understands that when he leads others, what it's like because he's been there. He's been in their shoes. And he knows what the people have to go through. He has empathy. He's supportive to those under his watch. He sets and models an example by his life. And we see Joseph's commitment to character, to purity, and to integrity. Well, then we see that all that is challenged in just a short time. The next thing we see is that Joseph fled the scene when confronted with opportunity to commit immorality. Joseph fled the scene. He ran away. Look at verses 7 through 13 of Genesis 39. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, 
My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. Potiphar's wife caught him by his coat or cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Potiphar's wife worked on Joseph day after day after day to sleep with her. Imagine the amount of temptation that he faced. And it says there in verse 6, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was a very attractive man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. She tried flattery. She tried being persistent. She finally ambushed him and set up the opportunity. Notice the reasons in the text here of why uh, Joseph was unwilling to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He was free from supervision. He was trusted by Potiphar, and he didn't take that trust lightly. He was filled with purity and righteousness and integrity, as we said. It also tells us in that text that he was given this position very quickly by Potiphar and was given trust over everything in the house because he saw that God's hand was upon Joseph. And he says in that text, the only thing that was withheld from Joseph was his wife. And Joseph did the courageous thing and chose his relationship with God and his reputation over a fleeting moment of happiness. Notice these things Joseph could have used to justify getting involved with Potiphar's wife. He could have said, well, Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Jacob had a habit of disobeying God. Why not me? He might have been able to commit immorality one time, maybe in his thinking, without anybody knowing about it. But are we willing, for the sake of our relationship with God and for the sake of maintaining our character, willing to pass up the immediate gratification for long-lasting joy and to glorify God? How often do you and I, do we sell out, maybe on the little things of life? We give up on the diet. We make excuses. We gossip and tear others down because it's what's popular at work. We cheat on our taxes because we didn't get that pay raise at work that we think we deserved. And so we're mad at the government as well, so I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity. We sell it all the time in these big and these little things. It could be that Joseph could have gotten involved just once with Potiphar's wife, and maybe it would have never been found out. But he would have had to live with the effects of it for the rest of his life. So 2 Timothy 2 gives us an admonition what to do when we're faced with temptation and we're looking for the way of escape sometimes it comes down to this second timothy 2 verse 22 flee the desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart sometimes the only alternative is to run is to run away from sin to run away from the temptation but then we see because he did the right thing notice what happens to him the next point on your outline, Joseph was the object of injustice by Potiphar's wife's selfishness. Think about that. He was the object of injustice. In Genesis 39, read verse 13, when she saw Potiphar's wife, that he had left his cloak in her hand, 
and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him the story that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Notice the result of Joseph doing the right thing. Potiphar's wife claimed attempted rape. Potiphar gets furious and throws Joseph into prison. Now we see a second coat that Joseph had get him in trouble, right? First he had the coat of many colors, and now he leaves this cloak on the scene. This got him in trouble. Another lie is told about him. Joseph was falsely accused and mistreated and imprisoned. But Joseph hung on to his relationship with God and the dreams that God had given him as a teenager. That was all he had going for him. It was all he could do to tie another knot in the rope with his trust with God. But it would be enough. I don't know, maybe you've sold out to sin in the past. But this can be the first day, inspired by the example of Joseph, that you can say no to a sin in your life that you've been managing for a long time. You know, if we're honest, we manage sin. We do. We find ways to, to deal with it. We find ways to rationalize it or justify it or hide it or whatever we do. But unfortunately, as humans, we like to manage our sin. But when we look at what Joseph faced, maybe this is the opportunity to break the ties of the past. You see, Joseph wasn't looking for it. He was trying to avoid trouble, but God was going to spare him. It tells us in Genesis 39, verse 10, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And finally, he had to flee from it. And God could give you and I the strength and the power to overcome sin in our lives, just like Joseph fled on that day. So the application is this. The lessons to learn are that trust and humility are painfully long, but stay with us the rest of our lives. The lessons are, are hard. How many times do we get wrapped up in our pride? How many times do we uh, fail to depend upon God and we depend on ourselves? And when we finally come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we surrender, little by little, we begin to ease up and rest in the arms of God. The key thought here is how do you answer the question in your heart, where is God when I want justice? How do you answer that? Some people get bitter. I've talked to many, many people who've turned their back on God because of some injustice in their life. Their wife died of cancer, and so God must not have cared about saving her life so I could spend the rest of my life with her. And on and on it could go for the injustices, getting fired from a church, and when you seem like you didn't do anything wrong. 
and on and on it goes. Or maybe getting fired from a job when you were doing well or the company decides to downsize and you're the odd man out. How do you deal with the injustices in your life when a family member turns on you for no particular reason or for an unjust reason? How do you answer that? Where is God when I want justice? William Goldman said, and this is a quote on your outline here, it says, life isn't fair, it's just fairer than death, that's all. One of the best things you could teach your kids or learn as a young adult is life is never going to be fair. I don't know how many times I had my kids, my three kids, come and say, well, so-and-so did this, and it's not fair. Or I didn't get this spot on the Little League team, or I didn't get picked to play piano for this particular thing. And you know what? Life is just never going to be fair in this world. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Here's some concluding thoughts as we close. Remember that God uses injustice to teach his faithfulness. This is the thing that you see through the story of Joseph. Notice Genesis 39.2. You might want to write the references to these three verses to see the, the theme. Genesis 39.2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Genesis 39.20. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And then the last one, Genesis 39, 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And CBS reported a story of extraordinary forgiveness. Ricky Jackson spent 39 years in prison on death row for a murder he didn't commit. He was 18 years old. He was misidentified by a witness. You see, Edward Vernon was the 12-year-old who identified the suspect. But Vernon now claims he was pressured to make the identification, although he saw nothing at all. Finally, with the help of his pastor, he came forward and the Ohio Innocence Project got a new trial and Vernon had the opportunity to tell the whole truth and Jackson was released. But being released wasn't enough for Jackson. He had hated Edward Vernon for 39 years in prison. And when he was released, he looked up Edward Vernon, and they met, and he hugged and he sobbed because he wanted to have and grant him forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's what you do in the face of injustice. Here's some questions to ponder this week. How have you personally handled your emotions and your attitude toward others when you have faced extreme injustice? As I said, we could all share our stories. We could spend a lot of time. I could fill an hour of things that have occurred, but you have to have a short memory and you have to commit it to the Lord and you have to trust him that he will take care of those situations. Second of all, what could you have done better or in a different way looking back? How has your responses maybe in the past been wrong, but now that you look back, hindsight being 2020, how could you approach this and dealt with this in a more mature biblical way? And thirdly, how hard is it to surrender your hurt caused by injustice to the care of the Lord? The people who walk away from the Lord because they're bitter, they have nowhere to deal with their injustice. It's something that builds bitterness, as Hebrews talks about, a root of bitterness in their heart. 
And they don't realize it, but it's eating them up like cancer and it's affecting the relationship around them because they don't deal and know how to deal with the injustice. How hard is it to surrender your hurt caused by injustice to the care of the Lord? Let's bow for prayer. As the worship team comes, I just encourage you to look into your heart and in your life today. And Are there things there that maybe God has pointed out through his Holy Spirit? A hurt, an emotional injustice. Maybe you were looked over for a promotion and you think about that and you're bitter about that. Maybe your child didn't get the particular spot for whatever in school and you're bitter about that. We all have things in our life that have occurred, but how do you deal with it? I encourage you today to surrender it over to him. Remember what it says in Romans, vengeance is mine, the Lord said, I will repay. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus entrusted, put his trust in the one who was the author of perfect justice, even though he was unjustly crucified on the cross. In this moment, if you're dealing with some injustices or bitterness in your life, maybe you need to go and confront someone. Maybe you need to talk to them. Or maybe it's too far gone to be able to do that. But surrender it to the Lord this morning. Father, as we read in Genesis about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, it reads so much like many stories that we've dealt with in our lives and people around us. Humanity from the very beginning, since sin in the garden, hasn't changed much at all. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Lord, I just pray for each one of us in this room that we felt the twinge of injustice and the emotions of it coming back. Lord, help us to surrender it. Surrender it to you. Lord, we have to keep forgiving and we have to keep forgetting. Unfortunately, we have a memory But when those things come up, we have to surrender them over to you and remind ourselves that forgiveness is about setting our hearts free. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, in those areas that we struggle with that. Help us to deal with the ingrained habits of sin in our life that, as we sang about in the first song, that we are free. The chains are broken. Help us to be able to walk in the power of the resurrection today. We pray and ask these things now in the name of Jesus. Amen.